Hello and welcome to the Pondering Theologian podcast. I am the host, Nathaniel. Uh, Today we're going to look at a section of scripture that I have had bouncing around in my head for a while now, uh, as is the case for several of my episodes, Um, and that is in Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31. Uh, Now I'll read that in a moment. Um, I'm also pulling from uh, Acts chapter 4, Matthew 25, Matthew 28, and I'll reference those throughout, but down in the show notes, like always, I will list it out so you can go read it for yourself if you desire. And I do always encourage that you read it for yourself and see what the Spirit is saying to you when you read it. Uh, But without further ado, let's read Luke And hop into the episode for today. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered it with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, they, If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Uh, How many of you have ever been in a situation like the following? You are doing something, whether working, reading, or listening about some topic, and a person says something that you think, um, well, you think just sounds a bit nuts. That sounds just a little over the top, you know? Oh my, that's just a bit ridiculous. Uh, In those moments, we can find ourselves in a place of wanting proof, wanting something that would just convince us. Maybe you think, oh, that would be great, or I would definitely be on board if only they could convince me better. 
I get this a lot with my YouTube ads where I will see something and it'll say, oh, you know, just uh, do this with stock trading or, oh, just do this and take Tony Robbins course or just do that. And I often am like, I think I need a bit more from you to convince me to pay money for that. We as humans, as these logically motivated creatures, want something that we can stake our actions, beliefs, and words on. In general, we as human creatures want something that we can solidly stick to whenever we go out and about and talk about stuff. Now, I'm sure you can think of something right now that you love to talk about, that you like to be some sort of authority on, that you like to do, and whatever it is you can think of your solid pitter, pillar, wow, pillar, so to speak, that grounds your actions around it. Um, a very simple one of mine is Legos. You know, those fun little plastic blocks that hurt like hell when we step on them. Um, and I can think back to my first uh, introduction to Legos when I was four at a Christmas Eve uh, event, a family function. Uh, my cousin had gotten some as a gift, and from that moment on, I have loved Legos. Why do I love Legos? Because they have endless possibilities. If you give me a handful of random Legos, I will find something to build. If you, if you give me a plastic tote of Legos in a few hours, I will fill those hours with beautiful creation and engineering that will leave me happy and fulfilled at the end. And there are many people like me. There is even a group of adult Lego enthusiasts that is an entire market for the Lego brand. Um, you know, I can connect with people all over the globe over Legos, from the littlest with their large Duplos to the person who has a basement studio for building their grand designs and Iron Man and city replicas. Every one of us can trace back to a, a pillaring moment that moved us from wanting to be involved to being firmly in the hobby. Now, one that... Um, as Christians, as someone who has accepted Christ might look to, is the triune God. That is the trifold being that is creator, savior, and intercessor in God, the, the Godhead, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. At least that is what we are supposed to believe. As I was reading the scripture um, at the beginning of this uh, for uh, a sermon a while back, it really struck me what Abraham says in this parable at the very end. If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. It strikes me as interesting how little I have heard this parable preached on, or how little this sentence has been talked about in relation to our faith as Christians. I have heard people use this to condemn those outside of Christianity, saying something like, oh, you know, some people just won't ever be convinced. Or this is the problem with, uh, with people. They just want proof before they'll listen. Um, I've, I'm never really an advocate for, you know, condemning people like that. Um, but these statements do have some truth. Um, that is certainly the way that some people are when hearing the gospel preached. Uh, but I, I think we often miss 
that there are connotations that this story has for those who are already Christian. So let us back up a moment. Uh, this section of scripture is in line with a bunch of other parables, um, in line with the, the, the gospel narrative. Uh, the whole chapter before this in Luke and uh, after this, Jesus is trying to talk to his disciples and respond to Pharisees and Sadducees and speak to those who are traveling with them and meeting them in towns that they are moving through. And Jesus has switched to this parable style of teaching to talk in a way that would convey to the people the biblical truths he was sharing. Um, it would sound a little like garble to the Romans as to uh, not seem conspiratorial. And it was not necessarily directly condemning the actions of those people was calling out in a way that it was not necessarily naming them, uh, which was a way for Jesus to continue doing ministry without uh, giving the Pharisees legal grounds in that moment to uh, bring him before the Romans. Um, and there are several reasons, again, for, for this that we could, could dig into more, but let's look at the parable. Uh, who would this be directed at? Um, this section would be addressing those who were the fancy peoples, quote-unquote. Uh, Jesus started describing a rich man, someone who was well-off. They wore the best clothes, and they ate very well every day. They did not just have enough, but they had the best food options. And at the door of this house was a man who was poor. It describes this person as having things contrary to the rich man. And he was laid there. He was weak from hunger. He was not just weak from hunger. He was in poor health. He laid there and was so unable to care for himself that the animals came and licked at his body. And he could not fend them off. He was unable to care for himself or provide for himself. And one thing that I think needs to be added to our understanding of this story um, that I have not necessarily heard mentioned much is that both of these men were likely Jewish. That is the context in which Jesus is speaking here um, to a Jewish community. And so I, I don't think we necessarily always hear this or talk about it when it's preached on. Um, you know, as, as the case with most of the parables, the audience is Jewish. And as less explicitly stated otherwise, the characters in the parables are also Jewish. And I think that we can assume that in, in just the context the story is given, um, you know, and how the rich man responds in this next part to, to well, we'll get there in a moment. Um, so now they both die in the story, the rich man and Lazarus. One goes to hell and the other to heaven. The rich man can look across and seeing Abraham, recognizing Abraham, part of the, the clue here, I think, again, calling that this is a Jewish rich person, calls for aid from their torment. And throughout the discourse, we get to the rich man recognizing there is nothing that can be done for him now. His time is gone. His fate is sealed, so to speak. And he asks for someone to go and save his family. And as we go through, Abraham says, No, I did what I was called to in my time. 
Lazarus did what was his in his time, and you did what you did in your time. And in verse 29, it says in response to the rich asking for someone to go tell his family, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Now, this parable has some searing condemnations for Christians today. Not just one or two, but all Christians. At that time, when Jesus would have spoken this parable, Moses and the prophets refers to the whole of the Bible that would have been available at that time. Moses represents the laws, and the prophets are the sum of the rest of the Bible at that time. The word of God as it was written uh, is what Abraham is referring to here. Um, he essentially says they have the Bible to read, to know how to act, and how to believe. And if we believe that prophets are people like pastors and others speaking for God, like John the Baptist at that time, then there are ample resources for the family in this story to listen to. But the rich man says, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. How many of us are like this today? Consider what we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 uh, through 36. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For, that, for, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now this passage can be controversial today. What do you mean give everything to the poor? What do you mean that the church mediated everything to the community? What do you mean that they sold their possessions and all lived at the same means? That isn't what we are called to do at this time. I worked hard to get where I am. Those people made their own poor decisions. I'm not paying for them to get out of debt. My tax dollars aren't funding their food stamps. I want to make sure my tithe goes to worthy people. I'll make sure they are deserving of my money. I'll mediate the money myself. They need to... And it goes on and on. And this may sound strange to some people, but this is what happens in some communities. And this is just one example of the law and the prophets today being selectively interpreted. We can find more. You know, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Old Testament and New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Old Testament, New Testament. It's in both. Pretty clear. Um, what, what responses can we see to that? Well, they're jerks. Someone else can love them for God. I don't have to. Someone else can be nice to them. I'm going to go this way. Someone else can show them God's love. 
It isn't my calling in life to do that for them, for that household, for that town, for those people. Again, to some this may sound strange, but this actually happens. It still is happening despite what the Bible says. And it has been sticking around in my months, uh, my mind for months now, that little phrase at the end of the parable that we read today. If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. This is directly naming for some, Jewish, Christian, American, world citizen, anyone, really, there will always be that excuse. There will always be something more that we want to convince us that we as Christians are called to be a full conviction of what Christ said in his ministry, to listen to the gospel message, to listen to the commandments, to live into sound doctrines, to be the body of Christ without exception. So the question for you, each of you, Whatever your age, whatever your socioeconomic status, however long you have been a Christian, are you convinced? Are you convinced to be the church who lives out Matthew 25, which says to go to the sick, to the needy, in prison, those in need? Are you convinced that you are called into deep relationship with God where you do not make exceptions for who you will show Christ's love to? Are you convinced that you, not the person to the left of you, to the right of you, not the person who is at the front of the sanctuary on Sunday or the person uh, leading your youth group or your uh, Bible study or anything else, you are called to be the Acts 4 church. Everyone is called into relationship with God. Everyone saved by God. Everyone who has chosen to be a Christian, is called to live into the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go to the ends of the earth, but you will tell everyone you know about Christ. As always, I could go on. Clearly, there's a lot in the Bible that we could call on to see what we are called to do. But I think, and I hope that you got, or I'm getting the point, if you are not convinced by the power of love that is evident in Jesus Christ, someone who rose from the dead, someone who called each of us to observe the commandments to love and to show love and to take love to all those around us, what will convince you? Because you, if, if this is your mindset that you need proof, you will always be looking for that extra sign, for that extra reason in the Bible for another to raise from the dead to convince you. Well, like I said, I can always go on and on about different things, and we could always find more in the Bible, in examples from theologi uh, theologians and pastors and great examples of Christ's love today. I think we'll call it there for today. Let me know what you think. What is it in this verse that, or this chapter that sticks out to you? What is it in the Bible verses that I mentioned in this episode? What is it that you think is reasonable proof that you need 
to convince you to love and to be the church and to be that love that Christ calls us to. Or if you just have a question you'd like to ask, or if you just want to have a conversation, anything else down in the show notes is all the contact for the podcast. You can reach out on the website, through email, over on socials. I check all those things. I look forward to talking with all of y'all. Remember, God loves you no matter what. There is nothing that anyone can do about that. We'll see you on the next episode.